Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. Hey, you know what? On this episode, I'm going to go ahead and kind of review some of the things that have been going on because it is important. And by the way, the first time you go through and you look at something, sometimes you miss a few things, right? And you don't really have time to fully digest what it is that's going on before you go off and talk about it. There are things that come up where as you rethink about it, you learn new aspects to it. You uncover new layers as to what it is that is going on and what the true meaning behind each of the events in the culture today. So as you all know, last week, Nancy Pelosi uncovered her bill regarding the 25th Amendment. Now, I know I did cover this last week the 25th Amendment, but there were certain things that she had said in her press conference when she was talking about it that did not necessarily strike me the first time I watched it. And it was just kind of bugging me for a little bit, you know, something, you know, that was just driving me crazy. So I went back and I rewatched it and it is what she said about how this panel, this, you know, board, on presidential fitness would be staffed. And I'm going to play that for you just in case you missed it. And then also after I go ahead and I explain more about what's going on here, you can go back, listen to it for yourself and decide whether or not I'm crazy. So here we go. Here's what she said. It's not about any of us making a judgment about the president's well-being. It's about this respected bipartisan, both aspects of it, the medical side of it and the dignitary statesman side of it, are selected equally by the speaker, the leader, the speaker, the leader, the leader, uh, in a bipartisan way. Did you catch that? Did you catch how she was talking about this being staffed up? That, okay, she tries to say bipartisan, but of course we know nothing in D.C. is bipartisan anymore, and most of the time, what does get pushed as bipartisan is usually bad for the rest of the country. So bipartisanship means, in general, the Democrats just get their way. But think about this. She is trying to say medical experts, which is supposed to sound good. But then she says dignitaries from prior administrations. So I got around to thinking about this, medical experts. You know, this word expert gets thrown around quite a bit, but are we talking about the same type of experts that are paraded all over TV to comment on Trump's mental health and possible physical health? These so-called experts trying to diagnose Trump without a single test being run or without ever being within a thousand feet of the president, you know, trying to, you know, diagnose him based off of what they think they see when they watch them on camera. Are, are these the type of experts that are going to be filling this panel? Is this the type of expert that we're going to be trusting? And by the way, we have seen, not just in the medical field, but in all fields, especially you know all scientific fields, where so-called experts are those that only the left deems to be experts. And anybody who disagrees with what the left wants to push is deemed not an expert and is, you know, basically cast out of their profession, is considered to be somehow disgraceful. So remember, only the left gets to determine who is and is not considered an expert. So the only so-called experts that will be staffing this presidential fitness is experts that the left pretty much picks. Now I get they're saying, well, the right is going to pick it too. Well, we'll get to that in just a moment because they also said dignitaries of prior administration, which means translation, swamp rats. They're going to put in career swamp rats into this. Now, what is this really about though? You know, because they want to put in you know, what they claim to be experts, people who are all over TV disgracing themselves and their profession in order to push a political narrative, and career swamp rats who have, you know, committed to doing things 
one specific way, right? Because we elected Trump because he was not a career politician. He was not part of the establishment and he would not go along with the establishment because, you know, you take a look at prior dignitaries like what John Kerry, John Kerry said it was an absolute fact, indisputable that you would ever be able to have peace in the Middle East without the Palestinians. Trump ignored that, and guess what? There's peace treaties breaking out in the Middle East. But people like John Kerry from prior administrations probably would have pushed that Trump is crazy, he's delusional, he is not fit for office because he wasn't going along with the established D.C. narrative. So when I get to thinking about Nancy Pelosi and you know the whole 25th Amendment, and she's trying to say this isn't about President Trump, which... When I go off and analyze this, would they ever be pushing this if it wasn't for Trump? No. And would they be pushing this if they really thought Biden was going to win? Right? Because think about this. You know, the Republicans, you know, if they wanted to, they could have Joe Biden removed under this very bill, right? So she wouldn't want, you know, anything that would be able to, you know, remove Biden from the presidency if she thought Biden was going to win. So this is an unveiled attempt in order to make the executive branch subservient to the legislative branch, whereby if the executive doesn't go along with what the swamp wants, with what the career politicians want in D.C., then they'll just deem them incapacitated, you know, suffering from some illness or some, you know, mental, you know, incapacity and therefore must be removed from office. This is their way to protect D.C. from change. Change that has been very beneficial to you and me, the average person, but has been, I guess you could say, detrimental to the power of the D.C. swamp. See, they love power, and power means they do great while we do horribly. Because what good is having an ego of saying, I am helping to rule the United States, if people are financially independent from you, if people are prospering, if people are doing good, if people are becoming you know, rich and prosperous, then it somehow takes away from them, they think. And plus, they have their vision for the country. It doesn't matter what the vision is for we the voters. It doesn't matter what direction we want to go. It's what direction they want to go. So this is a means by making the executive branch subservient to the legislative and thereby being able to overthrow or basically, you know, neglect or negate the effects of an election. Because any president that actually tries to go and benefit we the people instead of the D.C. swamp can now be removed by this whole 25th Amendment group. And look. Trump could lose the election. Yes, that is always a possibility. That's what an election is. You could win or you could lose. But they also want to be able to make sure that there is not a future President Trump, another outsider that goes in, ignores all of what the swamp has built, and goes in and starts working for we the people. Because President Trump, let's face it, is the first president in over a generation to actually view the presidency as you know, a representation of the voters instead of the swamp, instead of the aristocrats. He's been working for we the people, not the swamp, and they can't have that. So they need a way to overthrow the results of 2020 and any election after that if they don't like it. I mean, heck, they tried everything else. They tried spying on his campaign. They tried a special counsel uh, investigation to try and find a crime to justify removing him. They already went through a baseless impeachment attempt, and they weren't able to get the job done. They weren't able to get him removed from office. So if he gets reelected, what are they going to do now? Especially now that he has Durham investigated, and I will be getting to Durham later on in the show. But especially now that he has Durham investigating the criminal activities of the Democrat Party and what they did in their spying operation. They can't have that. So they're looking for another means by which they can remove any president that they don't like. 
any president that dare bucks the D.C. swamp. And I can guarantee you the only reason why they're doing this is because they have data, despite what they say publicly, they have data that shows that Biden's chances in the 2020 election in November is pretty much slim to none, which is also why they are trying to scrape the very bottom of the barrel in their attacks on President Trump and how they're trying to use COVID as a means to attack President Trump. So Biden's out there on the campaign trail, despicably trying to blame Trump for all the deaths of COVID-19 and trying to say that it's only because Trump's response was so disastrous, was so horrible, was so inept that we weren't able to save all these lives. Which is very interesting to say Trump had the worst response to a pandemic in the history of the United States and then basically rip off Trump's entire pandemic plan to pass off as your own, because that's what Biden has done. Biden is an expert at plagiarism. He's been plagiarizing people his entire career. So I I don't get this whole, your response was so bad, so horrible, you know, the worst in human history. But do you mind if I steal your plan? Now let's go ahead and actually analyze what Biden's attack is. And then I'll go ahead and break it down to show you just how dishonest the attack is. So here's Biden in his own words. More than 210,000 Americans are dead. 420,000 have been hospitalized. We lose anywhere from 700 to 1,000 people every single day in America. Worse than any country in the world. More than 7.5 million Americans have been infected and we're still counting. So, yeah, they want to go off and promote the whole 210,000 Americans are dead because of COVID-19. That is evidence of a failed response to a pandemic. And there's been 7.5 million people that have been infected by COVID-19. Seven and a, Let's round it up. Seven and a half million people infected by COVID-19. That is proof positive that this was a failed response. Really? Really? Uh, that That's your claim. That is very dishonest here. And let me go through and explain why. Now, first, I could go off and debunk the 200,000, you know, pretty easily, you know, because we know it's not 200,000 that have died from COVID. It's 200,000 people that died with COVID. And so let me explain the difference. You got people who have died in car accidents who are listed as COVID-19 deaths simply because they tested positive. Now, did COVID-19 have anything to do with their deaths? No, but they died with COVID. So they're counting it as a COVID death. And so when you go through and you take a look at the actual numbers, it is far less. But let's say just for the sake of argument, you know, just for the sake of argument, let's go ahead and say, 200,000 people have died. Is that in and of itself evidence of a failed response? Well, that's really kind of dependent. See, they want to go off and use the number 200,000 because it's a big number, right? But as a percentage, it's actually pretty low. But just talking about numbers versus percentages, okay, even that is not necessarily a good measure. So how would we measure what a good response is? Well, one way to measure it is when this all broke out, right? What was the left saying? The left was saying, don't worry, you should be more concerned about the seasonal flu. Now, they were saying that around, on average, 40,000 people die from seasonal flu. Okay, now with the seasonal flu, we are prepared for it every year. We know it's coming. It's seasonal. We have vaccines that we can take, and still 40,000 people die. Now, COVID-19 is much deadlier. And if you take a look at what, what their claims are, right? If we just go by what their claims are as far as infected versus deaths. So roughly 7.5 million, you know, I believe it was more like 7.25 million, and over 200,000 deaths. Do the 
math, and it looks like it's at 2.7%. Now, the seasonal flu has a tenth of a percent death rate, right? So if you just do the quick math here, that would mean that COVID-19 is roughly 27 times, you know, roughly deadlier than the flu, right? So if that was the baseline here, then we would expect that if we did nothing, if we took no actions, and this is much more easily transmissible than the flu, we would expect that a failed response, you know, uh, basically no response like with what we do with seasonal flu, um, you would expect that the death rate would be about 20 to 27 times higher than that of the flu. Okay, so that means a failed response would be 800,000 dead. Okay, but we're only at 200,000. So then that would mean Trump's response, if we just looked at it that way, cut deaths by about 75%. Do we count that as a failed response? Now, remember, if the seasonal flu takes 40,000 lives a year on average, then the idea of zero deaths from COVID was never realistic. There was no way in any way, shape, or form under any scenario was that ever going to be achievable, right? So zero deaths wasn't a possibility, right? So if we take a look at it that way, well, a 75% reduction in death is not actually bad. It's not a horrible response. Now, let me just quickly, before I continue on with this, this whole, you know, worse than any other nation in the world. Well, that's kind of an unfair comparison. Almost every other nation in the world could have a 100% infection rate and still have less infections and cases than the United States. There's only two countries in the world that have any possibility if the infection rate was 100%. There's only two countries in the entire world that could outdo America in infections because they're the only two countries in the world with a larger population than us. I mean, I get it. It sounds like a great talking point. But if you're just going by population size, you're talking about, you know, countries the size of, you know, Kentucky, you know, countries the size of Wyoming and comparing their total cases and their total deaths to the United States. It's kind of an unfair comparison. It's an apple to orange comparison there. Okay. Now, there is another way to look at this, to try and measure results. Joe Biden is always out there saying, listen to the experts. Listen to the experts. You know, what the science says. Okay, well, let's see here. When COVID-19 first started, we had experts who did models to tell us what the expected death toll was going to be if we did nothing. And they projected deaths would be about 2.2 million people. So just do the math. 2.2 million were hovering, you know, under 210,000. If you do the math, that means if we listen to the experts, Trump's actions and how he's handled the pandemic has cut the expected deaths, the projected deaths down by 90%. Now, in what world is that considered a failure? You know, a complete disaster of a response. In what world is that considered to be a complete failure? Please explain that to me. Now, if we take a look at Joe Biden, under the Obama-Biden administration, in H1N1, there was uh, about 10 times more people that were infected. Now, they got lucky because it wasn't as deadly. Okay, so they lucked out. But H1N1 infected, you know, about 50, 60 million people. And we're talking about COVID-19, which is much deadlier, being contained to right now only 7.25 million and only 200,000 deaths of the projected 2.2 million. And this is being touted as a failure by Biden. You know, and it's been such a failure that Biden has decided he wants to copy Trump's plan and pass it off as his own. So you get and you understand 
just how dishonest Biden's attack is. But Biden doesn't stop there. He goes off and he tries to talk about jobs and how people are lost their jobs, been out of work, and, you know, of course, trying to blame Trump. Now, I guess you can blame Trump because he agreed to shut down the economy for a while, you know, the 15 days to slow the spread, which, by the way, it didn't mean to stop the spread. It didn't mean to eradicate COVID. It just meant slow the spread to prevent our medical capacity from being overwhelmed while we amp up our medical capacity and find cures and treatments. There was never any talk about there being a possibility of stopping the spread because it wasn't stoppable. But Joe Biden wants to go off and try to attack Trump based off of jobs and the economy, which is interesting. Now, I'm going to go ahead and play that clip, and then I'm going to tell you what Joe Biden conveniently forgets to mention. Nearly 11 million jobs lost since the beginning of this crisis, and they still haven't come back, including 136,000 jobs here in Nevada. Temporary layoffs have turned to permanent layoffs. Record growth last month in the number of Americans facing long-term unemployment. And the problem of long-term unemployment, once you get beyond a certain point, history shows us that they never get a job again. So, yes, he's going off talking about all the millions and millions of jobs that have been lost since the beginning of the pandemic and then stating, oh, history shows us that after so long, people just don't get jobs again. They can't find work again. Well, that is an interesting line of attack because if I'm not mistaken, taking a look at Biden Harris's plan and taking a look at the plan by the Democrat Party in general, their main goal here is to shut the economy back down again, taking the very actions again that caused those job losses. Remember, all those job losses was the result of shutting down the economy and forcing people out of work, you know, in order to slow the spread. And Biden wants to shut the economy back down again, which would toss people who have managed to get their jobs back and toss them back out of work. So, okay, are you upset at how many jobs have been lost? Or are you upset that many of those jobs have been regained? Because you're talking about all the jobs that have been lost, and yet you want to engage in the very actions that will, again, throw people out of work. You know, so I I don't get why he's able to get away with BSing the country like this. And yet he does repeatedly. You know, and it's just sickening how he's able to get away with it. Now, on the main side, what has helped and what I think um, has benefited Trump is the fact that Trump did get COVID and recovered so quickly. You know, everyone's been trying to criticize the Trump administration, you know, in their claims that we should have a cure, you know, or a vaccine by the end of the year, you know, and that they've been fast tracking that. And the left has been attacking that, saying it's fantasy, saying there's no evidence that any of that will emerge. Well, what happened? Trump came down and tested positive for COVID. And what happened? He took those treatments that he says that his administration has been developing. And he got over it within a couple of days and barely you know, felt any symptoms whatsoever. And it's amazing. So Trump getting COVID actually goes off and proves that his administration has come up with effective treatments and potentially a cure for COVID at record lightning speed, right? in less than a year, and that those treatments are so well-trusted as to be administered to the President of the United States. And we all saw the results. He went into Walter Reed. He was given those treatments. Two and a half days later, boom, he's out. And his entire time at Walter Reed, he was working. He was posting videos. We've seen him since he's been released, you know, doing great, you know, and basically back to his normal self, right? 
And so he has demonstrated that, yes, we now do have effective treatments. And now these companies are seeking emergency FDA approval because of how effective it's been in treating Trump and helping him get over COVID in just two and a half days. Isn't that amazing? So where is the failure? Please explain that to me, Joe Biden. Where is the actual failure? And what number would have been, you know, within reason, within reality, right? Because the way I see it, if we go by what the experts say, Trump's actions has reduced deaths by about 90% from their projections, from the projections of the experts. And in less than a year, he has been able to develop, you know, under his administration and working with the private sector of an effective treatment and possible cure for COVID-19 in less than a year. By all definitions, that is success. That is unquestionable success. And this is what we have come to expect from the Trump administration by ignoring all the precedent, procedures, and culture of the swamp. We got peace in the Middle East and we got a cure and treatment for COVID in less than a year, along with all the other successes of the Trump administration. And all we had to do was vote for someone that would reject the swamp in D.C. and their business as usual in order to do this. Because I can guarantee you, under a Biden administration, based off of how uh, the Obama-Biden administration handled H1N1, how they, you know, and saying let's listen to the experts, wouldn't have shut down travel or shut down the economy like Trump did. Because at the time, all the experts were saying, There's nothing to worry about. There's no evidence, as the WHO said, that this was human-to-human transmissible. You know, this would have spread much further. There would have been a lot more deaths, and we wouldn't even be close to a cure under the Biden administration. So thank God Trump is in office. Thank God Trump is the president who cares only about results, not the D.C. swamp culture. Now, as the election gets closer, us on the right, conservatives, we've been hoping, praying, and expecting the Durham report to come out. You know, you know Durham, the person who's been investigating the corruption under the Obama administration, investigating Spygate and the illegal spying operation on the Trump campaign, and the attempts to overthrow and oust Trump from the presidency using the special counsel, which the special counsel, that was a complete farce. I mean, that entire thing has been debunked and discredited. Not, you know, even though they never even found anything, but what they were trying to, you know, allude to, create the illusion of, has been completely discredited. Mueller was a complete disgrace. But now they're saying that Durham's report won't come out until after the election even though Trump and Attorney General Barr has ordered that it be released before the election, Durham is trying to go off and say, no, I don't want to. Now, in what world does someone get to tell their boss, I don't want to do this, and therefore I'm not going to do this? You know, in the private sector, that person would be fired. But these people in career positions within the government seem to think that they're not accountable to anyone, that they have no boss, that they're independent entities able to just say no. He has no authority to refuse to release it. Now, Trump has ordered the declassification and release of documents in the past, and instead of doing that, they slow walked it, and then they delivered it to the DOJ, specifically marked for Durham, in order to prevent its release. Now, I don't get how that prevents its release. If Trump ordered it to be declassified, It should be out there in the public right now, available through a Freedom of Information Act. There should be no reason why they can try and do some maneuvering in order to avoid its release. And Durham's been at this for, you know, nearly a year and a half now. Yes, it will be. Yeah, actually, it is about a year and a half now. And, you know, so what's taking them so long? Now, some of the information has been released, and it has been completely damning. And President Trump has come out and been alluding to the fact that 
not only do we have all the evidence of the criminal activity, but that it leads directly to Obama and Biden. And I get it. Some people are saying, well, you can't release it because it might influence the election. Yeah, people finding out that the person running for office is a criminal might affect the outcome of the election. Just like finding out in 2016 through the release of Hillary Clinton's email what her real plans, motives, and thoughts about the American people probably had an effect. You know, go figure. If someone spent their entire time lying on the campaign trail and the truth gets revealed, yeah, no crap that would have an effect. You know, but please explain to me how it is that running for public office somehow makes you exempt from the law. Somehow means that you are exempt from criminal prosecution for any crime that you may have committed. Please explain that. And please explain how that rule seems to only apply to Democrats. They had no concern about attacking President Trump and trying to claim him being a criminal and investigating and leaking information about the investigation into President Trump just a couple of weeks prior to the 2016 election, go back and you'll find out that, yes, they confirmed they were investigating President Trump prior to the election. That was seemingly influential. This whole rule that you don't release information regarding a DOJ investigation prior to an election seems to only apply when dem- for Democrats. If you're a Republican, yeah, sure, it still gets released. But don't you think the American people deserve to know? And I and guess what? If they have evidence that Biden is guilty and was specifically involved in the biggest corruption scandal in the history of the United States, him running for office is immaterial. You know, if he committed the crime, he should be prosecuted. End of story, period. Now, I was watching uh, Fox News. I believe it was actually Fox Business. And they were talking about Durham's report and how it was going to be delayed until after the election. And it was interesting because as I was listening to that, there was a specific statement that really jumped out at me and really pissed me off something horrible. So let's go ahead and play that clip and let's see if you catch it. If you catch that one statement that confirms the D.C. swamp culture, and see if it pisses you off as much as it pisses me off. Well, look, Durham has been at this since April of 2019, and one has to wonder, what's the purpose of this report? It's to hold people accountable. It's to bring about justice. Look, nobody's going to be prosecuted for this. To bring about justice, one has to inform the American people what happened before the election. Dorn's report should have been out months ago. And concerning the documents that Radcliffe passed, uh, you know, the president ordered all these documents on the Russia collusion hoax and, and Hillary Clinton's email scandal to be released and declassified without redactions. And Radcliffe then gave them to the Justice Department for Durham. Well, that's not what the president asked for. He wanted these documents to be released. This just ensures that they won't be released because Durham does not want to put out a report before the election. Now, Barr asked him to put out a partial report, but apparently Durham isn't willing to do that. And I think this is really doing a great disservice to the American people. They deserve to know what happened before the election so they can factor it into how they vote. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Okay, so let me break it down in case you missed it. The one part of that that really pisses me off when he goes off, well, what is justice? And then the default position of the D.C. swamp is that nobody's going to be prosecuted under this. Nobody's going to be prosecuted because of the Durham report. No matter what crimes are unearthed, no matter who's involved in committing those crimes, in the Spygate operation, the illegal spying operation on President Trump, no matter what evidence they uncover, nobody's going to be prosecuted is the default position of the, D- of the D.C. swamp. And that their idea of justice is just that the information will be released so voters can factor it in. Not prosecuting people who were guilty of committing crimes. No, 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 no. Only that people know that they committed crimes. Now, 
what really is going to piss you off as you re-listen to that clip, if you want to go back and rewind it, is remembering everything that's gone on. All right? How many people associated with Trump were prosecuted, put on trial for crimes that actually were not committed, like General Flynn, right? When he was the incoming security advisor, right? He was prosecuted and bankrupted for a crime that never happened, right? For a crime that never took place. And they claim that he lied to the FBI, that he lied about a question he was never asked, right? And so how many people, uh, how many Republicans, how many members of Trump's campaign were investigated and prosecuted, like George Papadopoulos, for example, because of a fake collusion narrative using unverified documents that the Clinton campaign paid someone to put together because of documents that the FBI agents involved in the Spygate operation doctored and altered, right? And they were prosecuted for crimes that never happened. But yet the default position is no matter what crimes are unearthed in the Durham report, no matter how blatant the crimes are, nobody's going to be prosecuted. Of course not. Of course, because the Democrats are above the law. They're not subject to the laws of us mere mortals. No, 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 no. If you're a Democrat, you're immune to the laws. They do not apply to you. You can do whatever you want, which is why they have become so corrupt, which is why they've become a criminal operation, is simply because since they never have to face the consequences for any of the crimes that they commit, they get more brazen in their criminal activities. But it's just been amazing in listening to that clip, hearing the default position of no one's ever going to be prosecuted for this. Now, that pisses me off. Does that piss you off? Does that piss you off? If it does, you guess what? We should all be tweeting at Trump right now to release the Durham report and that anybody who committed any crimes must be prosecuted. Now, of course, since the default position is that Democrats never have to you know, face the consequences of their criminal activities, why is Durham delaying the release of the report? Well, you know, for some people it's, well, it shouldn't influence the outcome of the election because guess what? Finding out that the person running for office is a criminal who is likely to be prosecuted for numerous crimes, yeah, that may impact the outcome of the election, but it's also because they hope Biden wins. Because if Biden wins, this information will never be released publicly. That is their consensus. That's their view, that they'll just be able to stall the release until Biden takes office, and then Biden will you know, classify it, bury it, and put it in the deepest corners of the DOJ and probably have it all incinerated so that it will never reach the light of day. That seems to be what the hope is in delaying the release of the Durham report until after the election. Because after the election, they'll just come up with more excuses because they just need to stall until January 20th if Biden wins. That is their viewpoint. That is what their thinking is. You know, so... You know what, Attorney General Barr, guess what? You have all the authority that you need to release this. You don't need Durham's permission to release it. You could go into his office right now, confiscate all the evidence that he has collected, and have it released to the public. Well, you might need Trump's you know, permission to do so. So, you know, President Trump definitely has all the authority in the world to order everything that Durham has collected to be confiscated and released to the public. Trump could have it released to the public tomorrow if he wanted. Tomorrow. He has all the authority to do so. So why is it that Durham thinks that he can just not release it? 
Well, because I'm sure people are telling President Trump, oh, no, 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 you better not do this. You better not do this. Oh, this will look bad. Trump should ignore all of that. If there is irrefutable evidence that Biden committed a crime and that those involved in the illegal spying operation knowingly engaged in criminal activities, Trump should just go ahead, have that released. Have it released right now. And guess what? Do not wait until a week before the election. You know why? Because of COVID, more people are voting by mail. And if you wait until a couple of days just before the election, that is a lot more votes that are going for Biden that will not be able to be changed, that will not be able to go through and, you know, be changed to voting for somebody else, right? So do not you know, play the DC swamp game of delay and then let it be buried and go away. No, release it, release it now, right? You need to have it released, at least a partial report, you know, all the evidence that has been collected of the crimes, all the transcripts, all of it, release it, send it all to, you know, um, independent news outlets. Now I know CNN, NBC, MSNBC, they'll never cover it, but that's okay. You know, send it to Fox, send it to Dan Bongino, send it to Ben Shapiro, send it to OAN, send it out to every independent journalist that is on the internet and have it spread far and wide, right? Far and wide. Make it so noisy that the tech companies can't censor it and the leftist media has no choice but to try and cover it. Right? Now, I know they'll try and downplay it. They'll try and you know, spin it however they want. But guess what? They won't be able to cover up the fact that you know, crimes were unearthed and that Biden is likely to be prosecuted for the crimes that he was directly involved in. But in no way, shape, or form should we accept the narrative or the default position that nobody would be prosecuted for any of the crimes that were unearthed during Durham's investigation. That is not how our system of justice goes. And we should not accept that this will be delayed until after the election. Those two things are completely unacceptable and would be a complete dereliction of duty and complete malfeasance. Right? Running for office it does not create immunity from the law. Now, of course, you know, with all of this going on, there's another distraction that has been going around. And we all know that the second presidential debate has now been canceled. And remember, the formats for the debates are agreed to months in advance. Well, the Commission on Presidential Debates, which I don't get why we have a commission. You know, as far as moderators go, they're not moderators. I mean, the whole thing is rigged. For instance, they call it a presidential debate. Now, I've looked at the ballots. Guess what? There are more candidates than just Trump and Biden. So why aren't they involved in the presidential debates? Hmm? Good question. You know, this is supposed to be the, you know, Council on Pre or Commission on Presidential Debate. And they only have a fourth of the presidential candidates engaging in the debate. Why is that? Almost like the entire system is rigged in order to favor only two possible candidates and excluding all the other candidates for president. Isn't that amazing? But then they go off and they select who the moderators are going to be, and the moderators are anything but objective, independent, or unbiased. They're completely biased. Every debate, we see it time and time again. It's two-on-one, two liberals versus one Republican. Well, they tried to change the format at the 11th hour, and Trump did not agree to turn this into a Zoom debate, and for good reason. But the left is going out there. Now, they knew Trump would never agree to a Zoom debate, but they tried pushing this, and when he didn't agree, they canceled it. Why? Because they're trying to save Biden. They're trying to save Biden from another butt-whooping in the debates. I mean, remember, 
You know, they've gone off and they've been promoting for months that we shouldn't have debates. No, 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 no. Biden shouldn't debate Trump. No, no, no. We, he just needs to not agree to the debate. And long and behold, what do they do? They try to change the format in a way that is completely unacceptable. Now, the left is out there trying to say that, oh, Trump doesn't want to agree to it because, you know, Trump did so poorly in the first debate. But they also have another narrative, another narrative that doesn't quite match reality. But look at how they try to spin it. Here you go. The second presidential debate has officially been canceled. It was planned for October 15th. Donald Trump uh, decided to throw a temper tantrum after he found out uh, that the commission for presidential debates had planned to turn it into a virtual town hall because Donald Trump is sick. He has coronavirus. And how about let's not spread the virus to people who don't want to get it and actually take the virus seriously. Well, um, he is, you know, now saying that he wants to uh, hold his own town hall style event instead. Joe Biden already has a town hall style event planned with ABC News on that date of October 15th. Um, but this again has everything to do with the fact that Donald Trump tested positive for COVID is not being being transparent about what his condition is today. Uh, there's been a lot of um, evasion when it comes to discussing whether Trump has taken a coronavirus test that has come out negative. No one will give us a straight answer on that. And uh, to keep people safe, uh, the debate was going to be virtual. But Trump is so worried that his mic is going to be cut off that he uh, was being difficult about it. And now we're dealing with potentially Two town hall town hall style events that are going to be done separately by both candidates, um, and we'll see how that plays out. Now that clip comes from the Young Turks. The they're a bunch of complete frauds. They're basically the CNN of YouTube. I mean, if you're not familiar with the Young Turks, you know they're just gaslighters who are completely dishonest, but they're backed by YouTube. They make their money. You know, they try to save from subscriptions, but they're really promoted by YouTube and get a lot of money from YouTube uh, as being complete partners from YouTube. And I don't mean from AdSense. I mean, YouTube pays them just directly to produce content, you know, and YouTube overly promotes their bullshit. So anyways, there's a couple of things there that stand out quite a bit. Now, first of all, they want to say, oh, it's because of a temper tantrum. Really, a temper tantrum. Hmm. They tried to change the format of the debate, and he didn't uh, agree to it, so they just canceled it. They didn't actually consult with him. They just said, hey, this is what we want to do. Trump goes, nah, I don't really like that idea. Okay, we're canceling it. They didn't really consult with it, and Trump has said that he didn't find out that it was canceled until everybody else did. He wasn't really informed or really consulted about anything. Now, number two is they try to say, oh, this is because he, you know, has coronavirus. Although his doctors say, hey, you know, he's responded very well to treatment and he sh should actually be completely recovered and not have coronavirus at the time the debate is scheduled. Now they're going off and saying, well, he hasn't, you know, uh, taken a test recently. Well, they're probably waiting until about, two days or we're going to wait until about two days before the debate to actually do the test and then try to determine from there what to do, right? Why would you take the test right now, right? You would take the test, you know, a day or two before the scheduled debate because that's what matters most. Okay, so their whole claims on the whole coronavirus thing based off of, you know, they keep telling us, listen to the experts and Trump's you know, medical team is stating that, yes, he should be fine uh, to debate. He will have fully recovered and he won't be infectious at all. But they're still trying to use it as an excuse to change it. Now, they tried to go off and say, well, it's partly because he's afraid that they'll cut off the mic. Jeez, I wonder why he would be afraid that they would try and cut him off and turn off his microphone. Hmm, could it be because after the first debate, that's what everybody in the media was saying needs to be done. That's what everyone was promoting. Give the moderators the ability to just shut off the microphone. We know what would happen if this was a Zoom debate. Trump's microphone would be cut off all the time. You know, he wouldn't get but his initial two minutes 
which two minutes, you can't respond to anything. We need to have less questions and more time to answer. You can't answer almost any of these questions within two minutes. You have to leave a lot out, which definitely gives your opponents uh, ability to attack you know, what you say you plan on doing because you're not able to fully tell them everything that you plan on doing. Okay, so why, well, why would someone be concerned that their mic would be cut off and they would be left unable to respond after weeks of the people who would be moderating in control of the, of the debates, all promoting that, yes, we should have the ability to turn off the microphone. Wow, it's, you know, I can't imagine where Trump would get the idea that his microphone might be cut off. You know, so they're just, what they've done here is they've found a way to save Biden. They've been advocating that Biden avoid the debates altogether. Biden got crushed in the last debate. And so they needed a way to get him out of debate. So they tried changing the format, you know, and they tried changing the format after it had already been agreed to. They tried to change it. Trump did not offer support for that change. Wanted to, you know, most likely wait until they got within a day or two of the debate, take the test and confirm whether or not it was safe to have the debate. But because Trump didn't immediately agree to it, they just automatically canceled it. They were just looking for any excuse to cancel the debate in order to save Biden. And so Trump not agreeing to it right away, you know, being reserved and, you know, saying, nah, I don't really kind of like that idea. You know, probably may have said, you know, let's just wait, you know, until we're within, you know, 48 hours of the debate. I'll take the test. And then based off of the results of the test, we'll see what happens. But no, 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 that's not good enough. They were just looking for an excuse. So the moment there was any hesitation by Trump, oh, debate's canceled, debate's canceled, Joe Biden is saved. Ah, sickening. You know, and how they, you know, spin that and expect people to believe that BS that they are spinning? Ah, you know, pathetic and sad. Now. Joe Biden, Joe Biden has been going off and he's been dogged by a question. Do you plan on packing the courts? And he's been dodging that question. But if you listen to how he responds while he's dodging, you actually get the answer. And the answer is, of course, he plans on packing the Supreme Court. There is no doubt about it. You can hear it in his own statement. So let's go ahead and listen to the statements that Joe Biden gave last week. And then I'll break it down for you where he's actually confirming that the answer to that question is yes, he's packing the Supreme Court. My opinion on court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. So did you get to the point where he actually answered the question affirmatively that he does plan on packing the Supreme Court? Well, if you missed it, I do not blame you because he was speaking uh, politician speak. So let me try and break this down for you. It's the part where he says, I'm not going to answer that question until after the election, because if I do, that's what all the headlines will be in all your papers. So. How does that give us the answer that he plans on packing the court? Well, first off, you know, as far as headlines go, by not answering the question, he's creating headlines. That is one. He's creating headlines about refusing to answer the question, which means if he was trying to avoid a distraction, you know, instead of dodging the question, you know, if he had no intentions of packing the Supreme Court, he would just say no. You know, there would be, you know, about a day's worth of headlines about it, and then it would be over. No one would ever talk about it. There wouldn't be any more headlines about the question of whether or not he plans on packing the Supreme Court. But it's more to it than that, is the part where he doesn't want the headlines from his answers, right? Now, why is that part in and of itself important in understanding what his answer to the question is? Well, think about this. 
He's a politician, and we're in an election year. All right? What politician have you ever known that if they knew their answer would generate positive headlines, would be, would be avoiding it? What politician would seek to avoid headlines that would be positive in their favor to generate good press for them? The only time a politician is concerned about what the headlines would be is if the answer or statement they're about to make would generate negative headlines, would generate headlines that the American public would disagree with. So only if his answer is something that he knows the American public is overwhelmingly opposed to, and yet he says that's what he's going to do, well, that's the only reason. No politician avoids positive headlines. No politician avoids good media coverage, good press. They only seek to avoid bad press. And so the only reason to avoid giving an answer that would create headlines is because those headlines would be negative. Now, if you take a look at the information about how the American public, according to the polls, if you go by the polls, the American public is overwhelmingly opposed to the idea of packing the Supreme Court. So you want to avoid headlines only if those headlines are negative because no one passes up good press coverage. Right? So you want to avoid negative headlines. And the polling shows an overwhelming amount of people avoid packing the courts. Therefore, in that statement, he's confirming that, yes, he does plan on packing the Supreme Court. He plans on doing that. And he only wants to avoid answering because he doesn't want the bad press coverage. Does that make sense to you? Does, does that make sense to you? If you understand that no politician seeks to avoid good press coverage, good headlines, then you know that if he's concerned about the headlines, it's because the headlines would be bad. They would be negative. They would hurt him in the election. Therefore, there can only be one possible answer to that question. It's really quite amazing. His non-answer gives us actually a definitive answer. And he is too stupid to realize that. Okay, so there's one last thing here that I want to talk about here. Now, as we know, you know, as the media covers any topics, it's always Republicans bad, Republicans racist, Republicans sexist. And as they go through and they try to talk about, you know, still trying to figure out how Trump won, is their statement is, uh, at least according to PBS, you know, uh, in the interview that they did on some hack that wrote a book, you know, that the reason Trump won and why we should have saw it is because there was this huge shift in the Republican Party, you know, racism. You know, um, you know, um, homophobia, transphobia, wanting to deny women rights, you know, and anti-immigration views. And it was because of that shift that led to the rise of President Trump. You know, this is pretty typical when the Democrats have no answers. They have no facts. They have no evidence. They have no argument. For their policy positions, it's always, oh, the other side's racist. The other side's sexist. The other side isn't some sort of istophobophobe. Right? That's their response to everything, which is why you know, they are losing, because they don't even bother to try and understand what is actually happening and what is going on. It is, we're right, we're undeniably right, and anybody who disagrees with us must be because they're a horrible, despicable person. That's the only reason why anybody could ever disagree with us, because we are so undeniably right about everything that we do. Now, while that is PBS, the Hill, you know, doing the uh, the rising on the Hill, um, you know, and I, you know, I, I have some issues with their program as well. You know, I don't agree with much of what they say, but there are times when they do seem to appear that they want to be more objective. They're kind of an anti-establishment type, but they're not full left-wing nuts. You know, they're not, 
you know, the full communist nutso, although they do seem to support Bernie Sanders. So I don't know. You know, it, it is kind of one of those interesting dynamics, you know, where it seems like they support Bernie Sanders and kind of support AOC. But at the same time, they'll actually criticize them. So, you know, there are times where it seems like they're trying to be objective and trying to give you both sides of the story. But regardless, you know, they're they're not too horrible. They're not complete nut jobs, I should say. And sometimes they they do interviews and they do uh, segments that, you know, actually shockingly are pretty good, pretty, you know, that are pretty, um, you know, accurate on the, on the, hitting the nail on the head and exposing just how fake the mainstream media is. And I don't know why we call them mainstream because they're not very mainstream. They're left-wing kooks, but on exposing the hyperbolic hypocritical BS of CNN of MSNBC, of NBC, ABC, and all of the rest of them. They actually called them out on their hypocritical BS, and it was great. It was great. So in this interview, well, you know what? I will let you hear it for yourself, and then we'll discuss it. It's now commonplace in democratic discourse to explicitly say that Trump is a fascist dictator and even to invoke uh, Hitler and Nazism to suggest that that's the proper prism through which we ought to understand the Trump presidency. And if that's the case, if Trump is some kind of a fascist dictator who is posing to end American democracy and freedoms or has already done so, who puts dissidents in danger, then you would expect the reaction to news that he has a fatal disease and might die, not to be one of sorrow and lament, but one of joy and celebration. That's typically how people react when dictators are ill or when they're in danger or when they die. And so there's this obvious tension, this conflict between, on the one hand, claiming Trump is like Hitler or is imposing fascist uh, white supremacy tyranny on the United States, and on the other hand saying, we wish you a speedy recovery, Mr. President. We hope that you get back really soon to the fascist tyranny and genocide that you're imposing right. on the United States. And I thought it was worth exploring what accounts for that tension. You know, come to think of it, I think that clip pretty much talks for itself, pretty much explains for itself. And I can't think of any better way to put it myself. You know, this whole Trump is a horrible fascist dictator destroying America, promoting white supremacy and ending democracy. But then when he gets sick, oh, we wish you well in a speedy recovery. I mean, that is a great point to show that the media don't believe in the BS that they promote, that they're all just engaged in hyperbolic BS, that they're not there to report the news and report factual information. They're there to play to an audience. They're there to play towards people's desire for confirmation bias, to tell people what they want to hear rather than what the truth is, because it's all about ratings and it's all about money. And there's no money, uh, apparently, in objective, factual journalism, at least not according to the left, right? Not according to the left. You know, independent, objective journalism is dead. You know, there's just not enough audience, you know, who wants objective, honest journalism for there to be so many competing outlets. And because there's so many competing outlets, they must play to a particular base to lock in a particular audience so that they don't jump ship to a competitor, you know, a competitor who will tell them what they want to hear rather than the truth. And so, yes, they engage in all this hyperbolical BS. And part of it is also because they're brain dead idiots who don't have any arguments, facts or counterpoints to what the Republicans talk about. And so they just engage in mindless dribble name calling. You know, the Democrat strategy is anybody who disagrees with us is a poo-poo head. That's the Democrat strategy. But calling them out on their BS and pointing out that if they actually believed in any of the things that they claim to believe, then they wouldn't be wishing him well in a speedy recovery. They would be celebrating his diagnosis and celebrating the possibility that he could die of a fatal disease. So it just goes to show the media 
they don't believe in what they themselves report. They're all a bunch of hyperbolic BS artists who have one motive and one motive only, helping people to find confirmation bias with them so that they can just continue to make money off of it. Now, I've said this before. I've said it many times before. But just in case you're confused, I am not a journalist. I am an opinion guy. I am going off, taking a look at what's going on in the media, in the culture, and then giving you my opinion on it, giving you my assessment. I am not a journalist. I don't have, you know, all this resources to go off and do investigation. I'm giving you my opinion on what the media is reporting and what's being streamed live on the internet regarding cultures and events and politics. All right. So there's a nice clear distinction between opinion commentary and journalism. And the media pretends to be journalists when they're really all just opinion commentary and they're not even giving you their honest opinion. They're just lying, making things up and just spitting out whatever BS they think will lead to audience and profits rather than truth objectivity. And if you're going to be an opinion commentator, you should at least give your honest opinion, not just make up what you think people want to hear. Because, you know, if you're going to be an opinion commentator, and then you're giving the opinion you think people want to hear rather than what you actually think, well, then you're just a fraud to begin with. Okay, so that's it uh, for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back again on Thursday. Please leave me a rating and review. Share the show uh, all over the internet. Let's go ahead and get everything growing because the best way to drown out all the liberal crazy nonsense is by promoting every conservative voice you can find. Thank you so much, and I will be back again soon.